Sonic Statesman.com. Hello, everybody. Uh, we're back from NAM. It's uh, Sonic Talk number 31. Can't believe we've actually passed the 30 stage. Um, we're all um, recovered, hopefully, most of us, from, from our post-NAM experience. It was very draining, but for some of us, it was even worse. There was a lot of illness. I know Andy and Sean both got this terrible flu type thing, and Dave, I think, got, got it as well. Uh, Dave is actually with us. Hello, Dave Spears. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm well now. Thank you. better now. Yes. No, that's good. <laughs> and uh, we've also got non-Eric from Berlin. Yes. Who we also met face to face there. It was very nice to meet you, Hans. Yeah, same, same. I think my last experience with you was, uh, was in the Hilton foyer, late in one night. <laughs> I actually also had the pleasure to sit next to somebody who was seriously ill on the plane back. Oh, joy. Did you manage to catch it? Uh, I, I was very, very cautious. So um, I was really taking it really, really slowly when I came back. Yeah. So I, I was able to avoid a real heavy flu attack. It's dreadful. So it was a flu, basically. And I think it's something that's been going through the schools here and everybody's been getting it. I'm not feeling too clever today, but I'm hoping... Uh, this is what I was feeling the la- like the last day on NAM, so I managed to fight it off. So I'm hoping um, that will continue to be the case. Uh, we were going to get Dave Robinson here, but he's uh, gone to another another conference somewhere or other. I'm not sure what it was. Dave is forever jetting around to various broadcast and pro sound and audio kind of things all over the place. So um, we'll maybe see him on Valentine's Day. I think he's available next. Uh, Nick, um, that reminds me. There was supposed to be a... Um a podcasters meeting from all the guys who are doing uh, music production podcasts, but uh, somehow I missed it. Did it actually take place? It did. Um, unfortunately, um, there weren't a, lo- a load of people there. There was Paul and Derek from Inside Home Recording, uh, who I met at the show, and they're really nice guys. Uh, we kept bumping into them. So it was basically me and them, and we had a good oh, okay. old chat, just for the record, because um, we're now part of the uh, Home Recording Network series of podcasts. Um, it's like a loose affiliation of people who uh, who kind of talk on the same subject, basically. Uh, and it was really great to meet those guys. So, Paul and Derek, hello, if you ever listen to this show. And if anyone else does, nice to hear from you. Or nice, th- nice well, that's not actually what I should say. Uh, nice to be able to have you listen to us. What, would I have been entitled to take part? Because uh, I'm running a German podcast. So, so all the German listeners out there. To, to go down to www.musotalk.de for some, for some German NAM reviews. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you do some stuff from the show, Hans? Oh, yes, I did. I did. Uh, I think what was really, really good is an interview with Stefan Stenzel, who is the lead developer at Waldorf, ah. who you unfortunately didn't catch. I didn't get much him. Much to my dismay. I know. <laughs> well, I thought I had, but um, I ended up talking to the distributor who told me about the new synth, which I suppose is as good a point as any to sort of jump into the NAM coverage. I, I guess, Hans, you must know more about it than anyone if you interviewed the lead developer. Well, uh, you're probably talking about the Zarenburg and the Blomfeld and the Stromberg. Um, and in that interview... Um, uh, I was asking him, why these strange names? And he says, why strange? It it's all fits into the same pattern because remember the Q, the Waldorf Q? Yeah. So these are all the evil guys from the uh, James Bond movies. Oh, they are. Oh, I, c- I couldn't play. I knew Blofeld was, but I didn't know the other ones. That's oh, fantastic. That's good. <laughs> what a sort of uh, cheeky philosophy. That's great. Dave, did you get a chance to see the uh, any of the Waldorf stuff? Uh, no, I didn't at all. I was curious because the, uh, is it the, oh, the, the Zirenberg, I thought was quite fascinating because it's essentially the size of an uh, uh, um, electromechanical 
piano, but it's um, actually physical modelling, which kind of strikes me as, a, as an interesting approach to, um, well, all sorts of things, really. What do you think? Well, um, I thought, uh, and th- that's what I asked, and you know, I asked the guys, you know, uh, Stefan, what's what's the story behind it? I mean, are you trying to get into the electric electric piano market, or uh, what is it? It seemed to me to be such a, quite a strange move for Waldorf uh, to go into the electric piano market. And he says, "Oh, that just fits into our patterns. We we always love to do strange things, and this is something that people should place into their living rooms because it looks so nice. It's such a great design." And he was going on and on and on about the design. Well, it does look um, nice. Looks nice, but but I think still, it, I think it's supposed to retail for something like four thousand euro, which is quite oh, wow. quite steep. Isn't that more than uh, the Fender Rhodes? I think so, isn't it? The actual real, yeah, hmm, that is interesting. So, uh, do you think? Do you think he's a little bit? Um, how can I put it? Um, been locked in a small room designing synths for too long. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe they, I don't know, they, maybe they just did it because they had the technology available and thought it was a great idea. Um, by the way, all the new synthesizers are actually um, designed by um, Axel Hartmann. He did the Fetty and he did all the, uh, all the new uh, Waldorf synths and he did all the old ones. And basically, uh, looking at Waldorf now, it's very, very much the old company. It's oh, okay. basically run by most of the people who ran it before uh, in terms of development and design. So uh, I think we can expect uh, it to be in the same kind of um, style, both in terms of sound and design, as the old stuff. Well, the, the interesting thing, the, um, the Stromberg, which is the big one, which is uh, mm-hmm. uh, the big guy, which is the full synthesizer keyboard, is very much... Um, one of its plus points is that it can it can it can play any Waldorf patches that have gone proceeding. You know, like wave patches, cue patches, you know, everything basically. So uh, they've put all the the modelling capabilities in there. So in, in a lot of ways, it's sort of super Waldorf. Absolutely, you're totally right. It's got all the features of any old Waldorf synthesis in that machine. Dave, are you? Uh, have you? I know you. You had some experience with the Waldorf wave. Have you looked at any of the other stuff? Because I know. Um, percussion-wise, some of their things were were kind of the ones for electric drum sounds. Attack, for instance. Uh, I did actually check out the Attack plugin, um, but very briefly. Uh, it was around the time where you know, this whole scene was just getting going, if I remember correctly. And uh, I spent a little bit of time with it, but I was such a well, and still am such a synth head that it kind of got lost between the cracks. With the, Sonic State this would definitely be in my top five most important keyboards of all time. Single most influential keyboard ever designed, obviously after the piano. Great for bass lines and leads and that sort of thing. It's, it's pretty cool synth. The top 20 greatest synths of all time. Coming soon from Sonic State. That's our top 20 synths coming soon. Uh, launch date is now February the 14th. That's Valentine's Day uh, for the episode one. Uh, we think you're going to like it. It's uh, it's looking really good. And uh, if you want a taster, just go to sonicstate.com forward slash top 20. That's T-O-P-2-0, top 20. I suppose going back to NAM generally, I mean, what were your impressions of it this year? Were there a lot of people there or is it just me? 
It was very busy, wasn't it? Yeah. I th- I th- probably I think- one of the busiest years. Yeah. Thursday just seemed like Saturday. It was kind of like, wow, this is full on. And, and Saturday was a nightmare. Yes. You couldn't... I mean, we had meetings at Roland, which were one end, and then we have to get all the way across to the other end. And, you know, we only had five minutes, and you needed more than five minutes because it was like going against the flow of a very strong river. <laughs> and they all had beards and tattoos, apart from the ladies, of course. But it was manic, wasn't it? It was very, very full. Um, I mean, I suppose one of the things that was quite I found quite interesting just generally was, you know, I think probably the hit of the show from what I could, you know, from what I could glean was the the new Rhodes Mark Seven, which is kind of going against the development of technology. I mean, the, the, for those who don't know, the Rhodes Mark Seven is kind of a remake of the classic Fender Rhodes, um, but with the same metallurgy, the same manufacture process. Uh, we did a video interview with uh, Jim Williams, who is one of the designers of the new synth, the new uh, uh, piano. Um, but it, the, the the sort of top of the range has got USB interface and MIDI control capabilities with a pitch and a mod wheel on it. And uh, it looks like it could really kind of take off, for, especially for real players who want a piano who can, that can double as a controller as well. But it, did anyone listen to that? I thought it was absolutely brilliant. For me, it was the highlight of the show, unquestionably. Mm. Yeah. I, I came across it completely by accident, actually. I was wandering around in a bit of a daze and sort of saw this thing and thought... Wow. And then I was like, oh, please tell me it's electromechanical. Please, please, please. And uh, he lifted the lid. And in fact, there's a blind guy that we uh, are quite closely associated with, um, a guy called Tiago um, from Brazil, who's the most phenomenal Rhodes player I've seen in a long, long time. So I dragged him over there to get his feedback, and uh, he was kind of touching it for ages and feeling it, and then eventually we got him behind it. And it was brilliant. I just videoed him. Because he was just like, wow, 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 this is incredible. It's amazing though, isn't it? I mean, because it's such a sort of anti-technology thing. I mean, I'm sure there must be wonderful technologies involved in it, specifically with the MIDI layers and what have you, and the new speaker enclosures and what have you. But don't they look gorgeous? You know, there's that red one. There's a picture of of, of it in one of the videos that we do, and it's sort of, it's very... It's just beautifully rounded and kind of shiny. That was the only problem. They, they're so shiny and glossy that they would r- look rather sort of grubby as soon as you touch them. Or you couldn't, you couldn't possibly put a pint on top of it, could you? Uh, no, let alone slip off. You need a special mat. It. Hans, did you get a look at them? I mean, it's, it's, it's. A, I know it's, it's a strange. It seems to be strange that that was basically the product. Um, uh, only part, partly. I think it's strange because. I think every time I go to NAMM, I always feel like I'm going back to the past in many ways because it's so retro, it's so old school. And uh, I think you both caught the uh, the, the Jimi Hendrix um, act. Oh, at, yeah, doing the uh, IK Multimedia um, yeah. Hendrix collection, yeah. And, and, and when you go through the halls, especially in the guitar places, you always see these giant posters of dead people <laughs> or almost dead people Quite a lot and of nearly dead people, yeah. Nearly dead people, and uh, I think musicians are that way. I mean, they're, they're very, in a way, uh, always interested in new technology, but at the same time, all their heroes are from the past. And it, so, it, in a way, it doesn't seem to be such a strange move because, um, you know, there's always this wave going in, in the, into the right. future, you know, virtual instruments, and then usually always a counter-movement. Where people say, "Oh no, I want this old depth, uh, depth mod- modular synths and patches and everything and monophonics." So I think it 
for me, it can, kind of fitted the picture, uh, fits into the bigger picture. Mm. Did was there anything for you that really stood out on the sort of cutting edge of technology from the show? Non Eric, the, the string machine. Oh, of course. Well, <laughs> I, I'd just like to point out we've rehearsed that for weeks, and even so, we still blew it. But um, just like I say, you know, obviously um, we we shot Dave uh, Spears, who was giving the first public outing of the VSM, the uh, virtual string machine. And I have to say, David, we because we I did I was editing it and I did the MP3s, and it did sound bloody lovely actually. And even in that environment, I mean, we pull I pulled the faders down so you don't get any of the background noise, but. Uh, uh, you were obviously playing the right chords there because uh, it, it showed off very well. Uh, yeah, we were happy, actually. Uh, what was quite funny, I mean, we knew that it was never going to set the world on fire, and probably won't when it's released, but um, what I found amazing was, you know, people come up and kind of go, hey, G Media, what's new? And then we sit down and uh, talk them through it and whatnot. And you could see there was a mixture of people. There were kind of two camps first camp were people like, oh, yeah, 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 you know, I get it, I understand it, it's brilliant. And then there was another camp who were kind of slightly disinterested. But then when they heard it, they would go, it was almost like sort of remembering a half-decent old girlfriend. They'd kind of go a bit a bit wistful. And kind of, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I had an Omni, you know, and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, it was good. It was good from that perspective. Oh, great. And, yeah. I mean, because they had a fairly punishing uh, demo schedule for you. When did we see you? Saturday, I think it was, and you'd been kind of fairly well... Uh... Um, squeezed dry, at least, even by that point. Yeah, they did. I think it was. I think it was half an hour on, and then you got an hour off. Half an hour on, hour off. So yes, that's luxury compared to my schedule. I literally didn't have uh, any daylight in mine. It was just kind of parallel appointments. But you know, that's why that's why we're there, really. But I suppose. But uh, yeah, it, did you find it energising? Because I know you're a bit of an old hack when it comes to NAM, and you're kind of, you know, not 15 times or 15 years you've been going, and you kind of, it's not something, I'm beginning to feel the sort of, I'm not looking forward to it greatly, but when I come back, I, I still feel kind of very energised and sort of full of uh, hope and, uh, um, you know, that kind of thing. There's something about the NAM vibe that's really excellent. I mean, I kind of dread it on the lead-up because there's always so much to do, but actually when we're there, it kind of takes on a life of its own, and uh, it's really good, it's a really positive vibe. Actually, I, mu- I much prefer it to Frankfurt. It's just the whole thing's much more up and... Uh, oh, sunny. Maybe, really. It's, yeah, and sun sunny outside. and they sell good margaritas. Uh, yeah. Although it wasn't sunny this time. I just like to say, there we were, all looking forward to a bit of winter sun, and what we got was actually quite freezing cold and exposure to some deadly germs. So it didn't quite work out the way we hoped. Hans, <laughs> have, you, have you been... Um, are you a veteran? How many times... You know, is this something that you do regularly? Oh, Yes. I was there last year. I had a longer break when I was um, primarily a music producer, but I've been going there since 1988. Gosh, that's almost since before I was born. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I'll, I'll tell a lie. before my daughter was born. Actually, there's one thing that I really missed, which was very annoying, because um, we did have good contacts with, um, with the propeller heads, and, um, you know, we were kind of booked in to have a look at the the new the you know the new synth or the something big and um we didn't get a chance uh, in the end they wrote to us and said oh you know as i mentioned before now oh no it's not on anymore and then i started to find out that it was on and people were being showed this new modular um synth that you know by all accounts is part of version four and we did try to get back and get an appointment we were told yeah come back on sunday at four which i thought was a bit odd and when i got there they were all just drinking champagne and stopped work <laughs> so we never got a chance to film it did anyone see it uh, yeah we were, i went over with hands actually to check it out yeah 
we saw it, and it was um, it, it took a while till the, until they were managed to boot up uh, the version, right? Remember, it wasn't an official reason for demo, but when it was booting up, you could see it said in big letters "Reason 3, and in really really tiny ones it said "4.0123BCA" something. Ah, so we're going to get a four, maybe Frankfurt. The rumor is that they were supposed to be showing it at NAM, but they uh, decided to cancel it. Right. So and we only actually came... got to see one of the new instruments. And how yep. did it sound? I mean, there is actually a YouTube video, but it, it was shot with an open mic, so it's not terribly flattering. But uh, you can, you know, you can sort of get a sense of it. I mean, what did what did you make of it? Well, I can only say it's not as good as <laughs> the GeForce plugins. Did I just earn my ten ten pounds? Oh, yeah, at just, least I'm just on PayPal now. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be like one of those bond shots where you see the bank, one bank account emptying and the other one filling up. <laughs> well, to, to, from, I could only—I um, mean, it was very very hard to tell on the on the fair, of course. Yeah. I thought it it sounded very much like uh, the other stuff they already had, so there wasn't uh, so, uh, purely sonically. I wasn't. Uh, there wasn't anything totally novel about it, at least not to my ears. But I could be totally wrong. I suppose. I, I suppose the main thing is, is they'll be able to, you know, by modularizing it, it will mean that what they have is is more, you know, more flexible use of their existing technology. Maybe. I mean, that's a positive spin on it. I suppose. Um, I have to admit that after um, it took a while to get everything started and running, and there were sort of several problems. Um, I was getting a bit bored and in need of a ciggy so um I did, I did hear it i did hear it but i didn't stay for the sort of full-on demo but um honestly i can't fault anything that propeller heads do yeah the the um the really big question is what is really really new on reason four i mean they've been working on it for one and a half years or almost two years well yeah so, i don't know so it's got to be more than one or two new since yeah, I suppose. Uh, I mean, I'm not really a Reason user, so I can't, um, I can't really comment on that. They, but they had really great music demos. It was really great. They got all James these... Is, uh, James Bernard is just is the tops, I think. He's a great demo guy. And uh, his, his style just sort of evolves. Because last time I heard him, it was kind of like drummy, bassy, reggae stuff. And this time it was a lot more electro and like really quite inventive, the stuff I was hearing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that familiar with him. He used to be with Korg. He was their sort of ace demo of all their groove boxes and stuff, and then he went to went to the props. And uh, but he's a really good demo guy and sort of full of energy and, and a nice chap as well. I heard from him. Uh, surprisingly, the name appeared to me first uh, listening to the Space Music podcast from Holland, where he's a regular. He used to be a regular artist that would be played, and um, and and later I found out that it's the same guy uh, that's uh, doing the product uh, specialist for. Propeller heads. It's great because you you speak to him and he's sort of been on the road for a week and he's just finished another album. You know, he just throws it out. I mean, he's he's so fluent on this stuff that he can kind of get he he gets albums together really fast. You know, he does a tune a night. You know, that kind of thing, and he just kind of goes, yeah, I just stay up all night and then I finish it and that's it and it's done. You know, he's very much a kind of grab it and go with it sort of guy, and that, that's why his things are sort of quite interesting because they haven't they they are instinctual rather than you know he hasn't spent years over the arrangements and kind of flattened everything out of it like a lot of uh, the rest of us do (laughs) i'd just like to say at this point nam for us we did we've done over 70 videos and i think our story counts up about 200 so we we, i think and i think um 
40 or 50 of the 40 or so of the videos were up by Monday. So uh, it was very successful for us in terms of, you know, how the technology worked. We did have a bit of a blip with the the network in the in the Hilton. Um, we booked the Hilton. You know, it's an expensive hotel right next to the show. We thought, guaranteed to have good bandwidth. Did it? No. First night didn't work. Second oh, night Jesus. it was so low. Second night it was so low. We had to go down to the business centre, which sort of has a a separate network, so it's not on all the same one of the rooms. And we just left a laptop there, chained to a table, uploading this stuff. Oh no! And we, and it went all went up. But then we went down in the morning. It, it, fortunately, it wasn't mine, and it was uh, poor Andy's laptop. And someone had just sort of gone into the business centre. You had to have a room key, and just sort of helped himself to Andy's computer and was sort of poking around in it. So he felt a bit uh, violated. Um, and it cost us two hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go but um we actually didn't spend that much time anywhere else other than the room although we did manage to go out one night uh hans you couldn't make it because uh you were in the throes of jet lag by the by the sound of it and dave we went out with dave and chris from g media to uh, our favorite vito's restaurant you enjoy that dave which was very good i have to say it was the complete antidote to the show madness wasn't it yeah it's like a kind of calf really isn't it Run, family run calf with uh, mum and mum and pop and all the kind of family work in there and they're they're really 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 friendly so uh, here's an ad from our show sponsor yamaha uk we'd like to thank them for coming aboard and being so forward thinking helping sponsor the show so if you want to help us help them or help them help us i forget which way around it works go buy some of their stuff and tell them we sent you the new hs series internally powered speaker system from yamaha Tough, reliable, reference monitoring, high frequency response, tight, low end bass, individual master levels, and trim switch, full surround capability, high efficiency, and low distortion. Perfect for every multimedia application. For a full spec, check out www.yamahaproaudio.com. The new HS series, internally powered speaker system from Yamaha. Hardware. Um, unless anybody's got any other software they wanted to look at, did you did you see anything software wise, Hans? While we're on the subject, the origin—that's hardware and software in a way. Isn't Is that it? the Artoria thing? Yeah. Hmm. We never really got a decent um, interview out of anybody at Artoria. Um, they just oh. seemed to be somebody who was just kind of playing a million miles an hour rubbishy solos. It seems like I'm always fitting into your gaps because I did a very nice interview with the German distributor. So tell us about it, because we don't know anything. <laughs> I think uh, he told me that already a year ago, they changed the subline, Aturia Hard and Software. Yeah. Uh, well, they changed it from software into hardware and software. And nobody really asked why they did it. And they've been planning to do this for quite a while. And the, the whole idea emerged uh, because they felt uh, that the, the, the um, computers at the time weren't really um, fast enough for their very uh, extensive analog simulation. Ah, and they were playing and fiddling around with a PCI solution, with a, with a, um, with a, D, a DSP card. Yeah. And out of that gradually evolved the idea. And initially they had the idea of actually doing what Creamware did, um, building hardware kind of versions of their plugins. But then they decided that that was too boring. And uh, this origin now is basically a synth that incorporates all of their synthesis technology from the various plugins they already developed in one box. You can obviously call up 
one model of the uh, CS80, but you can actually combine the different parts of each sense right. in a like in a modular way. So you could have the filter from the ARP, or you could have the um, the envelopes from the MOOC and so forth, and combine that all. Was there anything? That, is that not similar to what Analog Factory does, or is Analog Factory more model specific? No, it's different because in Analog Factory, it's basically only presets that you call up. Right. It's so, a, yeah. it, it, the, the technology is the same. It's got everything incorporated there. But with the Origin, you're actually able to, like, like on a big modular synth, you're able to combine them all in your own kind of synthesizer. Did you hear it make any noise? Yes, a little bit. There right. was uh, only very scarce demos. Very, right. very little. And I hear it's going to be quite pricey, though. It's not going to be a, a, a low-cost unit. It's got a couple of thousand euros or something, isn't it? Two thousand. I mean, as a concept, do you think it has any mileage? It's funny, because I heard about it last year. They were showing something in a sort of darkened room somewhere, and everyone thought it was basically a controller for Analog Factory. So I was um, quite surprised. Um, I, didn't, I didn't actually get to check it out. It will be interesting. Hans, did you get any idea of when it was going to be hitting the market? Because it did look quite a long way off being finished. Um, September. Well, and in March, they want to release the Jupiter, the Jupiter 8V, the virtual The plug yeah, 8. that looked good. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm surprised no one's done that before, actually. I mean, I know that sort of Roland did with their um, the Varios, yeah. Um, so this is kind of the first Jupiter, virtual Jupiter, as far as I know. Mm. Everybody yes. kind of says they're great, and I've got a Jupiter 6, and I like it. But, I mean, is it? Is it? Is a Jupiter eight really that good? We had the we had the Italian the Italian impersonator the Syntex Elka Syntex. The Elka Syntex. Yeah, that, that was great. That always looked a bit more kind of inviting to me. Mm. We we had it in the studio and it was great, great sound, really fat. I expect it'll do well because I mean Jupiter eight's a kind of big flagship kind of keyboard. So and 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 to be honest, you know their stuff their stuff definitely has a certain something. There was quite a lot of digital mixers. Ederol had some digital mixers, and Korg had these beautiful ones. Did you see the 04 and the 08? They're like these hybrid hybrid digital mixers. With um, They only had four and eight channel versions, which is fine, but the channels were, they got built-in effects, but did all with, um, with discrete EQ modes, so you could have uh, filter mode, EQ mode, rejection mode, you know, for like DJ cut mids, cut back, and... <clears throat> the channels would be switched. It's also a fire interface, so the channel could be switched between an input, a physical input, a return from the from the computer, or a MIDI control channel. So you can actually mix and match between channels what you wanted to control MIDI and what you wanted to be an input, which is a kind of really interesting idea in terms of hybrid. Also, you know, it would take um, you know have DJ inputs and what have you. I didn't see it, sorry, but I think it's uh, it's an upcoming concept. I mean, a lot of companies are sort of doing that now, mixing the. It just struck me as being worlds. kind of quite... Uh, I didn't see it coming at all, and I just thought, oh, that actually looks kind of quite fascinating. And it, what happens is is they've each knob, everything on the channel has got an LED behind it. So when you switch modes, if you go to MIDI mode, on the 4 it goes green. So you've got a green channel, so you know that's MIDI-based. And, you know, it's just sort of quite nice, some quite nice touches. And, and you know, because everybody's always having a go at companies like Korg and Roland and what have you for not you know, for just kind of rehashing their old technology. But this actually genuinely looked like something actually quite new and that, that they put a lot of stuff into. Um, that and the mini Chaos Pad, I coveted. Did you see that as well? There's a Chaos Pad about the size of, what is it? Well, not very big, basically. About the size of a CD. 
case. And that looked quite nice. And red. And battery powered. I didn't see it. No, I heard um, Oz actually talking about that and the mixer. And they were, um, all the future guys were creaming over those two things, actually. The thinking behind the mixer is basically it's kind of bringing the DJ stroke producer together so people can have their decks and Ableton or Reason or whatever and playback from their computer all in the same place and they could use it live or in the studio or wherever. So it was kind of this multi-purpose tool. And I think, you know, they're probably not... Okay, it's it's, it's first generation, but they're probably not far off and and they do seem to be first to... You know, first to the market with it. So uh, that I'd, I'd definitely like to get my hands on one and, and play with it a bit more uh, intensively. But yeah, I enjoyed that. And of course, the um, what else was there? Uh, the shipman filter. Anyone no. see that? God, where were no. you guys? Not named, after, <laughs> not named after Harold Shipman. No, it wasn't actually. I did think about bringing that joke up, but Carsten Shipman is uh, is also German and probably would not have uh, understood it at all. Uh, I will I will point it out for the rest of our international lit- listeners. Um, Howard Shipman um, is probably the most infamous, just recently convicted mass murderer in uh, in the UK, who's reputed to, uh, during his career as a doctor, have killed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And they keep finding out more and more, you know, as they investigate. It's quite a nasty business, but also kind of remarkable that he never got caught because he was actually a doctor and did it while he was working, if you see what I mean. But the shipment filters are a very beautiful thing. Even just the, we did a video of that, and it sounded fantastic. That he's um, he's made this incredible sort of discrete modular filter, this dual 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 filter, multi mode filter with kind of input um, compression, which is really savage. It's kind of, I suppose, a similar concept to the uh, Sherman, but totally totally different. Um, it, it sounds uh, very interesting and musical and powerful. I'm not that the Sherman isn't, but the Sherman was always kind of really wild and quite hard to control from what I remember. I mean, I've got one, but I could never kind of... I used to use it for distortion rather than filtering, to be honest. But, um, but this one sounds great. I mean, it's a couple of thousand euros. It's, it's very much boutique analogue. It was downstairs in the analogue haven booth where we, we did a kind of quick roundup down there. And there's a, actually, if you check that news item, there's a whole load of interesting analogue stuff. But that was a good piece of hardware. Um, anybody else have any hardware? thoughts um i saw the did you did you guys see the tronicle the self-tuning guitar yes we did we shot uh, we've seen that a few times because it was it debuted last year um when it was still, shipping now uh, shipping yeah and haven't they got a deal with uh gibson apparently apparently Correct, gibson, yes yeah gibson that they announced it at the show um somewhat prematurely by by all accounts but um the deal was done and i'm not sure if they're going to be putting them in Gibson distribution line, or whether they're actually going to be bolting them onto Gibson guitars, you know, if you want an, a, as an as a paid for extra. But that's a great deal for them. I mean, you know, that's a really hot item. Last year, that was one of our biggest video items of all things. Oh, okay. So how does that work? It's got little servos in it. Wow. And a kind of pitch tracking thingy. So you just yeah. kind of, yeah, it's it's mad, you know. And you can you press you can put presets in it, so you can actually have it. It keeps you in tune at all times. Uh, unless you override, presumably, because obviously you might want to go a bit out of tune. But also, you can have detune, you know, with all this sort of modelling stuff, you can have um, presets where drop D and, you know, what have you, on all the strings, and it'll just kind of zoom, wow. zoom its way to them. It's quite fascinating. Although, um, there was also the VG Strat, which uh, is probably a little bit out of our scope, but it's actually a kind of merging of technologies between Fender and Roland. And they put basically the brains of the of of Roland's electronic guitar stuff modeling stuff inside a proper strat 
it models basically loads of other Fender guitars in a Strat body and does different tunings and what have you. And that was quite a big deal. I mean, I saw your video. Yeah, I mean, and, and the video wasn't bad actually because I was at the presentation and it nearly made me fall asleep. And uh, Simon, the guy who edited the video, did a great job of making it a lot more interesting than it actually was. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be very, very interesting whether the, this idea really catches on because uh, the most conservative musicians are definitely guitar players. And I wonder, you know, whether they're really going to go for the idea of actually. I'm not sure. Do do they have to drill a hole into the guitar? The guitar is built with this stuff in it. Oh, okay. And and we're talking about the VG Strat, anyway. Okay. It's actually. How about the Tronicle? The Tronicle, yeah, it does need a bit of modification. Yes, you do need to get the router out, I think. So that's a bit scary. But apparently, you know, people like. uh, uh, Not Richie Blackmore. Who's the Led Zepp guy? Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page has uh, has got a load, you know, and he's had some of them done to his SGs and, you know, Les Pauls and stuff, which is a frightening thought, but he's probably got so many of them. It's The other thing that was, uh, while I, I should jump back quickly to software, the Legacy Collection has had the Monopoly, Korg Monopoly added to it. And uh, Monopoly yeah. was one of my favourite synths. I didn't actually witness the demo, but I'm looking forward to getting my hands on it because I do really like the Monopoly. Uh, yeah, I heard it. It was good. Very Did good. you? Are yeah. you familiar with it? Did, did did it actually sound like it? Yeah, but I mean, frankly, I can't. I couldn't fault any of their um, software plugs. Their legacy anyway, stuff I is thought, good, is it? I yeah. think the MS Twenty is brilliant. I thought the Poly Six was really good. In fact, I thought the Poly Six software was better than the hardware. Frankly, <laughs> <laughs> I recently did a shootout on Musotalk. Dot de. Dot de. Yes, uh, and I um, I showed the my MS Twenty. And I did a very short side-by-side comparison to the uh, plug-in, the Legacy Collection plug-in. Uh-huh. And what happened? Well, I think, uh, I mean, it's, it's, got the, it's got the general character right, but obviously the, the MS-20 filters are so um, harsh and so aggressive. Uh, it's, I don't, uh, to model that into software, it's, I think it's virtually impossible. The Korg MS-20 is a killer one to do because it's, it's so yeah. organic, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure yeah. they all probably sound a bit different as well. <laughs> biggest bit of vaporware, I was thinking. Um, the, the biggest news was got to be the Roger Lynn and Dave Smith boom chick. Do you see that? No, go on. What it is is um, Dave Smith, he of Dr. Dr. Midi, the man who invented Midi, and um, the sort of first budget polyphonic, well, I say budget, programmable polyphonic synth, I think that's right, in the Prophet 5, who now makes Evolver and such like, um, is teaming up with Roger Lynn. They've been mates for ages. Roger Lynn is basically the guy who invented kind of proper drum machines, isn't he? Yeah, Lindrum and right the way up to uh, the MPC, of course. And they're, and they're sort of making something that's got MPC-like pads and Dave Smith kind of synthesis engine, so it will do um, electronic... Uh, brains and also sample playback and it's a pr- but it's a drum machine it's not like a sample or anything but uh and it's called boom chick and uh, we've got a video on the site of uh, dave explaining a little bit about what it is and when it's coming out i mean i don't think you know they're the, the two chaps you know they're, they're kind of industry veterans i don't think they're breaking their um breaking their backs to make this happen sort of uber quick but um they reckon about a year or so and we should see something excellent so I think there's going to be a lot of people kind of going, ooh, yeah, fancy that, because obviously Roger Lynn is, you know, all the hip-hop guys probably buy it, at the very yeah. least. <laughs> That's not really vaporware, but they didn't have it in hardware. They had a big poster of it behind the stand. 
And uh, that looked quite interesting. He's been wow. generating a lot of chat in the forums. SonicState.com uh, Best hardware? Best hardware for me? Yeah, go on then. The keyboard stands that go up and down. <laughs> Every time I saw you, we usually met in front of them and you were going, look at that, it's so cool, they're going up and down. They are, I, I, we did them a couple of years ago and they're motorised. The idea of them is, um, I think they're for sort of churches and houses of worship where loads of different people play the keyboards because it's quite a big thing in America, isn't it? That's where a lot of people get their musical chops. Because basically, otherwise, to change the height of a music stand, a keyboard stand, you have to kind of lift it up both ends, you know, fiddle about underneath, and these things just move up and down on these sort of gliding motors. So uh, that, you like those, Dave. That was your favourite. We had uh, Chrissy and I walked past them. We just kind of went, imagine getting like six of those for Wakeman and being able to control them remotely from the side <laughs> of the stage. It's got great comedy value. It oh. saves you on a bit of roadie uh, lugging around. And... Uh, yeah, I just thought it was brilliant. I loved it. I did put a video on my blog of Chris playing one while it's going up. And oh, actually, it was brilliant because it extended to taller than Chris was. Solidstand.com, that's I think. That's it, though. yes. Solidstand, that's right. Um, uh, which, the talk of roadies kind of reminds me, takes me back to this Waldorf um, Zorenberg, which I was kind of wondering whether all, because presumably there's the, the space under the hood where the electronic mechanical stuff would be if it wasn't a physical modelling thing. I mean, what can you put in there? Is there some sort of gyroscope or anti, anti-gravity matter thing that you could kind of use to make it not quite so heavy? Because, I mean, it's, it's not going to make your roadie feel much better. Saying, oh, I've got all this new stuff from Nam, and it weighs a ton, you know. Um, okay, and, and hardware for you then, non-Eric? I'm a software guy, no hardware for me. What about the Universal Audio Expander? Oh, yes, now you've got me. <laughs> yes, I'm, 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 I'm Germany's greatest UAD-1 fan. Ah. ah. Yes, of course. No, I saw that. And, um, yeah, I think this is going to be extremely important for me because I'm um, moving over to, to, to do most of my music also on my laptop. Yep. And that was one of the things that was actually one of the missing links. It did look very nice, it, didn't it? It's a bit pricey. Is it? I don't know how much it was. I, I, I think they missed a trick there because I was asking this, this beautiful – basically, it's a PCI Express card, which is what the new MacBook Pros have got, and nobody makes any cards for it apart from now uh, Universal Audio with their expander PCI Express and also Apogee have something for the Symphony. But this thing, it looks like a hard drive. It's about the same size as a kind of Lassie hard drive, but it's shiny <laughs> and it's got a blue light on it, which is always a plus, and uh, it enables you to use UAD plugins using the – PCI bus on your MacBook, which is great because it means you're not using the FireWire, USB, you know, it's a free bus, essentially, at the moment. Yeah, and it's got the advantage that it's basically, comp- basically, it's a PCI bus. That means there will be the same short latencies yeah. f- from the PCI, and they told me that they will also uh, release a PCI card uh, for the desktop machines. That's right, you can so it the, in, yeah. So you can connect the external box to the uh, desktop machine as well, so you can do so. You have dual use. You just buy one expander. Yeah. You can use it as well on your laptop as well as your desktop machine. That's which I think the is only thing I have to say about it is, though, I think they missed two tricks. One is obviously you can only use one at a time, so you can't rack them up because there's only one slot. I thought maybe there'd be a through port, but I suppose that's PCI limitation. And the other thing was, while they're making a new form factor, why the, why on earth didn't they put more DSP power in it? I think they can't. I mean, did, I heard 
two years ago, there was this big rumor that they're actually using, they bought a real, real big chunk of old DSP um, that was supposed to be used for rocket control in a military chip. Because it's definitely a non-standard DSP uh, that they're using. They're not using Motorola or Shark. How, how much is it anyway? Nine hundred. Nine hundred bucks. Nine hundred dollars. Yeah. Oh, I, okay. I think. So it, look, not... and it comes in a really fancy carry case as well. It's got like one of those, you know, those old um, Sennheiser mic cases, which are sort of, or that we've got padding in. You get one of those, and you can get a three-meter um, PCI extension cable that comes out of the card. So, I mean, that's that's quite useful. And um, I don't know. I've never used their stuff. I did have a power core for a while, and I, it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Basically, but they've just kind of yeah. they've seemed to have got more mileage out of it than uh, TC Electronic did. I love the UID stuff. For me, that Cambridge EQ is just an essential piece of everyday work for me. Oh, you've got a UAD as well. Mm. Ah, okay. Maybe in uh, fact, it's I... one of the reasons why I haven't upgraded from the LG Five. Just because you know, there's a couple of their plugs, particularly that Cambridge EQ. It's just, they're just so essential. Well, now you can. Yes, which is why I was excited to know that it was 900 bucks. Hmm, that's not too bad then. I just think our final parting word should be, um, have a care and have a heart for the poor TC Electronic singers. Didn't they work them hard? <laughs> I, in almost every video that's in Hall A, um, you can hear them singing in the background. <laughs> There's one guy there. I don't know what his name is, but he's he's a he's actually you know he's a good singer if you like that kind of style. And he was just going on and on and on, you know. And he does it every day. And you just think, what happens when he gets to the show? And you know, maybe he's got a bit of a sniffle, or you know, he can't go out and and get drunk the night before because it will ruin his voice, presumably, unless he's come kind of one superhero. That's amazing, yes. isn't it? God, yeah. my, my voice dies on sort of Sunday afternoon. I'm feeling getting more and more croaky. And that's just talking. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, um, thank you very much, guys. I think um, we'll probably just about finish in time for, for Hans to, for non-Eric to go and um, do another interview. You're doing another interview straight after this to talk about, what are you talking about, non-Eric? I'm talking about digital musician. And um, I'm going to give a good demo. And uh, the guy's also going to do a interview uh, online interview using our software with charlie steinberg digitalmusician.net is that right yes is your kind of day job right absolutely and um, and what you and you're just about to go off and do an interview which is going to be demonstrating what amazing new feature well i'm going to show um, a new software that we hope to release within the next couple of weeks which is uh, a standalone version of the DML plugin, so it's not a plugin, but it's a recorder, and it will also not only allow you to do a, a live recording session with somebody via the net, synchronized and everything, but you will also be doing some kind of offline collaboration via a server. That's all I want to say about okay, it. Okay, well, we'll watch this space. Okay, well, thanks very much, non-Eric, and I hope um, you get a chance to go to the loo or have a drink of coffee or something before the phone goes and you've got to do your next shot. And we'll see you very soon. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. And Dave, thank you very much. Yeah. No problem. Thank you. So there we have it. That's uh, kind of uh, a brief roundup of uh, our NAM experience together. I mean, obviously, we won't be able to have covered everything because there was just so much. All of our NAM coverage is available at uh, sonicstate.com forward slash news wnam07.cfm. We've got 70 plus videos. 
couple of hundred stories. St- things still coming all the time. We've just got a few dr- stragglers that uh, we're, we're editing up and we've got a few more things to go. So keep checking back the site and uh, the full coverage will be probably done by the end of the week, we hope. Anyway, remember, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can call us on the Skype handle Sonic Talk or uh, we've got some couple of Skype in numbers set up on that so you can just call on the regular landline. If you want to ring to the US, our number is 312-376-8089. Uh, with a plus one in front of it if you're calling from outside the US. Uh, if you want to call us in London, our number is 0207 870 And if you're calling from outside the UK, you dial plus four four two zero seven eight seven zero eight six one six. Or good old email, Sonic Talk at Sonic State. We're quite happy to accept MP3 comments if you want to uh, send them in. Love to include them in the show. Uh, come on, give us, give us your opinions. We'll be happy to play them. Okay, that's it for that this week. Thanks for listening. Sonic. State. Not home.